Hey, I hope you're doing well. I'm Jared, and I get to continue our series for better. Today we're talking about for richer or poorer. I've done about 400 weddings. I have never yet married a young couple that said, you know, we think probably we're about as rich today as we're going to get. It's only downhill from here. Yeah. But for richer, for poorer. And, uh, you know, there's something for everyone in this talk today. Uh, you're going to be uh, educated. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be uh, equipped. So you might be able to make immediate application with some things that you've learned. I hope that you are motivated to take some next steps. And if you're not married at this point in life, I hope that you're better equipped and prepared to help some other people along the way. So something for everyone today, even though we're going to make our primary application marriage because of this series. But first of all, I want to give a true-false question questionnaire to uh, everyone. Uh, it's probably wiser for you not to raise your hand and vote true or false or to be out loud. You want to have a relatively good trip home if you came with someone here today. So here's number one, true or false. I compare myself to someone else financially. True or false. Yeah. I've written a check that was underdeposited. That's the one that bounces. <laughs> true or false. Yeah. I wish I were more generous. You say, oh, yeah, okay, that's one that I'm working on. My kids can act a little entitled when it comes to money. True or false? Yeah, true for some. I want you to listen carefully to God's promise. I will provide all of your needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We could do a whole talk on God's promises to care for your needs. We could do a whole series. In fact, we could talk for an entire year about God's care for your provision. But today I want that to be the given, the foundation, the platform on which we address the other side of the equation, and that's our part. So God says, I will provide for all of your needs. And then God says, I'd like to give you some wisdom on how you can partner with me in that. Today, let's take a look at the partnership. Let's jump right in. Let's mention quickly first in our, the first of three uh, periods in this um, uh, talk, let's talk about four important ways to improve our finances. Quickly, let's jump right in. The first one is be transparent, including combining your bank accounts. Now, I read a book last month. Whenever I make reference to a book, I have people come and ask for it. They want to buy it. And I, so I'm in a quandary. You should not buy and read this book. I'm about to give you everything you want to hear from this book. And now as I give you the title and the author, some of you right now are buying this book. I know you, I know you, but here it is. It's called, If You're In My Office, It's Already Too Late. Subtitled, A Divorce, Divorce Lawyer's Guide to Staying Together by James Sexton. Here we go. This is a how not to book, how not to mess up a good marriage. If you're married, this goal of this book is to keep you out of my office. And if you're not married, the goal of this book is to keep you from heading toward the mistakes and bad choices that my clients have made to get into my office. As a divorce lawyer who has facilitated the demise of more than 1,000 unhappy marriages, I observe the things people typically do to ruin their relationships. Here's the punchline. 
Except for infidelity, nothing causes more imbalance and eventual upheaval in a marriage than money. And the number one root cause, in my experience, is lack of financial transparency. So, be transparent in your finances. Now, I know that if you're married, you probably found a financial opposite. If you're the saver, they're the spender, right? If, if you're the one that keeps, they're the one that gives. I understand that. I've also understood that it can be painful to not be transparent. Heard of a guy recently, he was a very generous giver, and so he spontaneously gave a rather large amount to a very worthy cause without mentioning it to his wife. She found out later that was not a happy moment or a week or a month for them. Yeah. And so if, if this is an area for you that you want to take a step forward in, uh, there's some helpful resources, and I recommend that you get a coach. We have uh, four financial coaches here that would love to assist you forward as volunteers. I think that Matt's over here today. Uh, I think that uh, Mr. King is over here today. Yeah. And uh, so there's resources for you. You can get a counselor, a professional marriage or a finance counselor. You can Commit to be a part of a group like Financial Peace University, but find some steps to move forward in transparency. Number two, make a budget and relentlessly eliminate debt. Have you discovered, like me, that gaining debt is a lot like gaining weight? It goes on really easy, but it comes off really hard. Yeah. So the stuff that you buy, here it is, the stuff that you buy isn't nearly as good feeling as the feeling of being financially free. Number three, good advice. Give and save as a habit, not just as a spontaneous moment. You know, in our marriage, Jan and I have discovered that some of the best money that we've ever spent was the money that we've given in service to others. The happiest couples I know are also the most generous. So work not just to improve your standard of living, but strive to improve your standard of giving because misers end up miserable and generous people end up being blessed. And even if you don't have much treasure right now, find ways to express generosity with your time and with your talents. The fourth piece of good advice as we launch is always put your relationship first. If you want to improve your financial health, you're going to need to take some steps of action. And I encourage you to make yourself available of the tools that, that we have and chart a new course toward financial freedom. And, and if you're married, your marriage, your whole life will be better for investing your way forward. You know, we talk about finances here because well, the Bible has a lot to say about money. And it all starts from this foundation that we find in Proverbs 10. Notice it with me. It says, it's the blessing of the Lord that brings wealth. Now, I know some of you are a little cynical right now, and you're saying, well, I'm still waiting for my wealth ship, ship to come in, right? Yeah. Well, what this really means is that God is the origin. He's the source of all of our provision. And so we start first with him. It means that God is the originator of all that we have. And here's these powerfully comforting words in Hebrews chapter 13, where Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now you say, well, Jared, what does that have to do with my finances? Well, everything. 
Because that is right in the middle of a paragraph that's talking about personal finances. And what God is saying, right now in your life, wherever you find yourself, good, bad, or ugly financially, I will not leave you there. I will not forsake you there. I am the source of provision for you, and I am with you in this thing. What an amazing comfort for us. I want you to be encouraged today. Our friends, Doug and Karen Creasy, uh, live and work in Palm Springs. They also have a lot of fun. Years ago, Karen worked with Ann at Westside Church in Bend. And when Ann accepted uh, a different role, Karen was her successor. Doug, was, uh, Doug and Karen have been lifelong athletes. They're exemplary in how they have taken care of themselves physically in their discipline. But recently, Doug, 58 years of age, was diagnosed with early onset uh, dementia. And they decided together that they would share their story with others. And every few days, Karen posts on her blog. Last week, she wrote, a wedding ceremony and a joint bank account, that's it. <laughs> to me as a naive, newly married youth of 21, those two basics meant I was hitched, attached, one. Always, forever, period. Change to either of those two basics never crossed my mind. And from that day forward, Doug and I have always shared a bank account and shared our financial decisions. But a few days ago, that changed. Doug and I went to the bank together with some clear direction and discussion, a shaky hand and a temporary understanding of where to sign, Doug signed off our joint accounts. When I left the bank, tears were rolling down my cheeks. It represented sole responsibility I didn't want and fiscal powerlessness Doug didn't want. The bank outing conveyed that daily and long-term financial decisions are departing his capability and are mine to make a loan. The next day, in the car, by myself, after becoming the only name on the bank account, I got into a mad, poor me yelling match with God. Actually, I was the only one yelling. He was listening. And I didn't yell long. His peace interrupted me, and his still small voice to my heart reminded me of Psalm 139. Quote, you have searched me, Lord, and you have known me. His promise to take care of us completely, always, forever, period. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Let's see in this second of the three periods in this talk what the Bible has to say to us about money and how we can apply it. So let me mention, first of all, two realities about money. Number one, money is a tool. tool. Um, we're about to read the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible about money. I bet you know what it is. Here we go. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
And some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many grieves. Yeah. Now, it does not say that money is evil, but the overprioritization of money can lead you toward evil decisions. Paul was writing to a church where some people had decided just to toss in their faith. They had stopped gathering together in fellowship because, well, Jesus said it well. Someone's going to have to be the boss. And in our lives, it's going to end up being God or money. Jesus went on to state clearly, notice it with me, do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So money is a tool that we can learn how to use in helpful ways. And money is a helpful thing in our life. And especially for couples, we, we've, we've discovered that if couples are going to fight about stuff over time, it's often going to be about sex or money. And so it's so important for us to understand what God thinks biblically for us about our sexuality and about our use of money so that there's not that tension. So the first thing we learn is money's not evil, but it is in fact a tool that can be used in helpful ways. The second thing we learn is that money directs your life. It's powerful. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Doesn't it make sense to us to say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is? Where your values are, that's where you're going to make your investment? But Jesus turns that on its head. And he says, money is so powerful that the place that you invest is actually going to draw your heart into that. And so we want to let money be a tool. We want for money to direct us by making investments in those things if we're married that are going to grow the relationship. So let's, let's develop a strategy for money. And this is going to take us into the third uh, part of our talk today. Uh, we want a, a strategy for money that we first of all live. If you're a parent, secondly, that you teach to your kids, if you want to have some someday that you can teach. But for all of us, others are watching us. So let me recommend that these things that have been helpful for us. The first one is, first of all, would you read it with me? Decide on God's role. Yeah. So first of all, let's do the choice that makes everything else easy. If you decide that God is Lord over your life, including your finances, that really simplifies options, right? Now I'm going to find out what his will is, and I'm going to do my best to follow his will. On the other hand, if God isn't Lord over my finances, then I'm going to be open to a whole variety of options, and life is going to be far more confusing for me. The biggest and first decision we make is who is God in my life relative to my finances. Uh, as far as we know, the wealthiest man that ever lived was Solomon. And this is what he writes. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your paths. I love this quip. I think it's true and it's memorable. If he's not Lord of all, eventually he will not be Lord at all. 
That's how Jesus set it up. So first of all, make the decision. Secondly, under my, uh, determine your, would you say it with me? Your goals, yeah. I encourage you to write down what financial success looks like for you. What does the, the good life look like? And notice in the Bible that it says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I think it's important to plan. I've, maybe some of you have met people as I have that actually their worldview of God is that they are fatalists. So that they hear this promise of God, I will supply all of your needs. And then they say on the personal responsibility side, I don't need to do anything. So I'm a fatalist. Fate wins. Whatever God dreamed up is going to happen. But we understand that that's not the biblical relationship we have with God at all. God makes a promise I'll provide, and then he invites us to partner with him. And one of those partnerships that he invites and endorses is planning. Notice again what uh, this pretty wise man Solomon uh, had to say. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Forbes magazine discovered that about 2,000 years after those words, or 3,000 years. I quote, people with a financial plan accumulate 2.5 times more for retirement. It makes a difference. We offer a course here each January, uh, FPU, Financial Peace University, and a couple of uh, the coaches and presenters are here today. Uh, I'm just so proud of the cohort that just graduated and want to kind of give you a before and after picture. This is really fun. I think you'll enjoy it. So the before picture is not, is not like a picture of these humans. It's a picture of their financial state together. And the before picture for FPU cohort, January of 2019, was that their non-mortgage debt was $650,000. And their cumulative savings was $200,000. So in that group, they were upside down about $450,000. Now listen, Financial Peace University, you don't have to be poor to be in it. You don't have to be wealthy to be in it. We have people all across the financial spectrum. Everybody is learning how to take their next best step forward with financial wisdom, with budgeting, with uh, planning, and with achieving their financial goals. But that was the before picture. The after picture was that they had collectively reduced debt by $73,000. Amazing. And that they had saved an additional $56,000. By the way, those pesky credit cards, <laughs> they started with 61 and uh, had destroyed 33 of them by the end of nine weeks of class. Probably a great help for some of them. So the question that we're asking is, so what does God want in my financial life, and what next step would he like for me in taking forward? Well, I think that God gives a pathway for us toward financial freedom. And uh, it's been helpful for us. I think maybe it'll be helpful for you as a strategy as well. And I'd like to suggest, and it's on the backside of your outline today, a plan that we call the 10-10-10-70 plan. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you have done it. Others of you will say, you know, I think I'm going to take a step into that. 10, 10, 10, 70 uh, relates to the words give, save, debt, and spend. 
Let's unpack these in reverse order. We're going to start with number four, spend. Because isn't that one that sounds fun to all of us? Yeah. So here we go. So first of all, the 70% is live within your, your means. Yeah. Anna and I started marriage broke. And we uh, house sat or we managed apartments to get free rent. And I think that that personal experience was one of the reasons I was so proud of one of our evergreen families. We, we met with the, the parents uh, a couple of months ago and had dinner together, and they were telling their story. And this family of five decided that for two years they would live in a travel trailer while they were getting their finances put together in order. I find that astoundingly brave and courageous and commendary. Yeah. So they decided that they wanted to move forward in life. They wanted to take care of some debt. They wanted to live debt-free and that they would find a way to live within their means. Yeah. So that's number four. Number three is 10% toward debt elimination. Yeah, we don't need to spend too much time here. All of us would like for that to happen, right? The proverb is very clear. It says, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. So if you're in debt, you know, don't be bummed at yourself. Just start where you are. Don't accumulate more and buy your way out. Four, three, and now at two is 10% save automatically. I love these two proverbs. It says, the wise store up choice few food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And then I always thought that ants were creepy and I hate it when they're in our kitchen. But God is redeeming their reputation here. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. That's what they're doing on your kitchen counter. I'm going to kill them anyway. Yeah. Save, save, save. Yeah. Four, three, two, one. 10% is, let's say it together, give generously. Yeah. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all of your crops. Now, some of you are already planting gardens. They're going to be well watered the next few days. Not all of us are farmers, though. So let's use a translation that makes sense for all of us. Here it is. Honor God with everything you own. Give him your first and best. Generosity. What does God say about giving? You know, before we wrap up with this conversation, I just want to acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, the reason we talk about generosity is because God's having a hard time in heaven. You may have heard about the economy up there. It's kind of turned south. He's running out of resources, and it's really important for him that you step up to the plate and that you start giving generously. You understand that, don't you? God is running out of cash. <laughs> we laugh because it is utterly absurd. So we have this question, so why, is, why does God make such a big deal through the Bible about our generosity? He obviously doesn't need it, who needs it? And you know the answer. We need it. We need it, first of all, because we are made in his image. We are the Imago Dei. And among other things, God is entirely generous. And he wants us to live into who we are made to be. And that includes generosity. 
He wants for us to participate in generosity. Secondly, because Jesus has made it very clear that the great cultural sin is greed and that the only activity to counteract greed is to be generous. So he wants us to be free persons in our image of God and free persons in our own hearts. And then thirdly, he wants us to be generous so that we can participate in the helping of others as well. So toward that end, he talks about generosity. And I want to notice two things. The first of all, he talks about the priority of giving. Put God first. So before you write another check to give, actually, that's a bad image. <laughs> do some of us still do that? <laughs> I actually had to write a check yesterday. We got a funny, odd, one-off bill, and uh, I had to write a check for it. So first thing, I had to find a checkbook, and fortunately, there was a check in it. And then I looked to make sure there were two because I kind of forgot how to write checks, and I was afraid I, the first one would have to be practice, right? <laughs> write the second one. So, you know, however you pay. You pay with app, you pay online, the whatever. Before you give generously again, make sure you have this one nailed down because there's a lot of bad reasons to give. Don't give because you're obligated. Don't give because it's the religious practice. Don't give because you made an ancient decision history ago that doesn't make sense for you now and isn't meaningful. But make this fresh decision to make God the first priority. And you're giving now, priority giving, says God. This is first and foremost about my relationship and love and trust in you. The second thing the Bible's very clear about is percentage giving. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of rules and standards there, and they're kind of like the daily minimum requirement, you know, the, uh, the multivitamin with some minerals in it that you take, the MDR. <laughs> so back in the Old Testament, we kind of find the, the minimum that is often superseded and built on in the New Testament, but we find some helpful information there about standards. And in Leviticus, it says, one-tenth belongs to the Lord, so you must set that apart to him as holy. And then in another place, in Deuteronomy, it says, be sure to set aside a, a tenth so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So the tenth, the, 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 the actual word there is tithe. Tithe literally means the tenth. And that was the Old Testament platform of giving and generosity. Uh, the big idea is that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find that people gave proportionately or uh, percentage-wise. And Paul was in the New Testament trying to help some of his friends at a church that he had founded and then he had left, and they made a commitment of generosity to help one of their sister churches. And Paul was about to come back to Corinth and receive this generous gift from them, but he had heard that they weren't really uh, executing uh, their generous hearts. And so he gave them a systematic way to do that. And this is what he writes. It's helpful for us. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. There's the percentage. So that when you save it up, when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, I think that Paul was really smart in giving this advice. The first thing he said, I'm going to give you a system so you can be successful in being as generous as you want to. And his system is weekly. 
And I think he was also a little self-serving because I think Paul was saying, you've made a commitment. I'm coming to get the offering that you've promised. If you haven't made it, I'm going to have to spend all my time leaning on you to give money. And I don't really want to do that. I'd rather talk about some other stuff while I was there. And so he gave them a percentage system. So if you're working on eliminating a debt, then in summary, we have a 10, 10, 10, 70 plan. 10% to God, 10% in savings, 10% to debt, and 70% to live on. So what does this generous life look like? Some of you might be saying, you know, Jared, when we talk about generosity, I mean, I get it that God doesn't need it, and, and I get it that Evergreen doesn't have to have it. Evergreen is blessed, and, and we will in, happily invest every, every offering and tithe that is received in God's kingdom work. But we have the same commitment that we each have individually in our homes. We live within our means. But many of us aspire to be more generous than we are. And I think this path toward generosity will be helpful for you. The last thing in the world any of us want is to end up feeling guilty about this. You know, we can do that. I'm not as generous as I should be. And, and no, 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 don't go there. The point is, where are you today and how can you make your next step forward? In fact, some of you today have never given at all toward God's work. And for you today, you're thinking, I should probably at least tip for the snacks and the coffee that I'm going to have when I leave here today. And we call those people first-time givers. Yeah. And guess what? Every person in this room has been or is about to be a first-time giver. That's where we all start. We give the first time toward God's work. And then secondly, there's percentage givers. We do something probably about every three years that is just fun. And you're lucky because we're going to do it today. I was reminded of this a few weeks ago. I was out in the lobby and with one of the guys who's a business owner. And he said, you know, um, I remember about nine years ago, we did this thing called the 90-day tithe challenge. And my wife and I thought you were crazy. He didn't go on to say, and we're still affirming that. I thought, we thought you were kind of crazy, but we tried it. And he said, we've been tithing every month since. I said, really? Tell me more. And he said, yeah. He said, you said that week that the only place in the Bible where God tells us to test him is in giving a tithe, the 10% of income. And that every place else in the Bible, it suggests that we don't bother testing God. That's not smart. Yeah. First of all, God will pass all of your tests. He's really, really smart, and he will get A pluses. Secondly, testing God is rather self-centered and doesn't indicate a lot of trust. So the Bible's clear. Don't test God about much. But in this matter, test me, he says, and see what will happen. So my buddy told me, he said, that week you stood up and you said, I want to give you the 90-day tithe challenge, and here's the deal. If you automatically set it up to give proportionally 10% of your income for 90 days, and if at the end of 90 days you have not grown spiritually and you are farther behind financially, just let us know, no questions asked, no strings attached, we'll give all that money back. And he said, we did it. And we've been tithing ever since. Another time, uh, I remember this. Uh, I did the night of the challenge and I kind of got excited. And I said, I will personally guarantee it. You just talk to me and I'll give it back. 
But I had forgotten to mention that guarantee to Anne, <laughs> which pretty much violates the first principle that we talked about, <laughs> transparency, right? Yeah. Now, you all know me. I'm the miser, and uh, you know, Anne's the generous giver, and so uh, she probably would have bought into it anyway, but it was kind of fun. But after I made that commitment publicly, a guy caught me in the lobby, and he said, you are really, really brave. And I said, about what? And he said, you're really brave. You just committed to several hundred people that you would personally guarantee 90 days of tithe. And I decided to let him believe that I was brave. And I said, you're right. I am really brave. But you know, when I walked off, I thought to myself, you know, being the second signature co-signing with God as the primary guarantor about a test that he invited you to make, that <laughs> doesn't require a lot of bravery. <laughs> but you know, it can require a lot of courage to step into that, can't it? Because not because we're greedy. Most of us aren't anxious because we're greedy. Most of us are anxious because we're fearful. And the fearful, uh, fearfulness of scarcity and stepping into this step of faith when there's limited means and already means at many times that don't appear to be enough to stretch, that is an anxious step of faith. But you want to hear the real reason that we have resistance to take this test, it's because this is where the spiritual war is being waved. The devil really doesn't care what you do in lots of your life. But Jesus said it clearly. The spiritual battle is around God and money. You're going to serve one or the other. So of course you're going to counter the front lines, the heavy artillery of your faith in stepping into this matter and moving forward. But I invite you to take the 90-day the challenge. And if it's your step today on your connection card at the other box there, you can, uh, you can write that in. Well, there is the percentage giver. And I just want to tell you, evergreen friends, you've been around a while, if your spiritual life is stagnant and if you're not giving a full 10%, Again, we're not raising money. We're not in trouble. This is for your benefit. Listen, this is God's next step for you. You can do 50 other things in your next step of spiritual development. But if you're, if you're hung up around this one, this is one that can release you in moving forward. I want you to take a spiritual step of giving and generosity because I want you to grow in your faith. And I want you to have the joy of investing in God's kingdom here as people are coming to know and follow Jesus and uh, here and near in our community as we love our community and far in our church plants and in missions, uh, experiences and outreaches in Guatemala and Mexico and Uganda and beyond. And then third, well, this is where we'll end. This is fun. This is the progressive giver. You know that when you come to Evergreen, you're all, you'll all get stretched, don't you? You know this is a workout. Here we go. So uh, this is going to be stretched for some of you. Uh, this is what Ann and I do. You don't have to do it by any means. I'm just telling you what we do. We give our first 10% here at Evergreen, and then we give beyond that, some of it here with special opportunities and some to other places, and we're progressive givers. For me, it's very simple. I give out of gratitude for my past. I've been forgiven. I'm grateful. I give out of anticipation for God's provision of my future. I want to give him a lot to bless and multiply. I give because I want to be a part 
of investing in the expansion of God's kingdom. That feels right about who I am as God's child. And honestly, I give because I know that God's promise is he will return with blessing. God's the one who said, test me and see, and I will open up the windows of heaven in blessing to you. Test me and see. This last Wednesday, I got to have uh, iced tea with an out-of-state friend. He and his family were here at Evergreen for several years, and then they uh, moved out of state. We stay in touch. Uh, You know, don't you, that one of my greatest joys is seeing you thrive and grow in life. One of our greatest joys is staying in touch with graduates from Evergreen and see them continue to thrive in life. And so he just volunteered as I was asking how things were going, this story. And he said, you know, my, my wife and I, uh, he said, we're, we're really thrilled in our being blessed to be able to give generously. And he said, I'd like to tell you how we got to where we are. He said, we started out and we just decided in our marriage that we would give 10% of our net income. That made sense to us. You know, the net was all, the only part of the income we saw, right? And so he said, one day we looked at each other and he said, if we really believe that God blesses what we give, why don't we have a larger blessing base than the net? And so it just made sense to us to go ahead and try it out and see what it would be like if we tithe on the gross income. And so we did that. And he said, you know, then as we got into business and God started blessing our business, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we extended our personal income gross to our business net gross, gross revenues and we started tithing 10% on our business gross revenues. And then he said, as God's continued to bless, just every year we increase that. And he said, this year we're going to be giving 20% of our business gross revenue. I said, why do you do that? And this was his response. I quote, we want to invite God's blessing on everything in every way. I had a second question, and I said, when did you start tithing? And he laughed, and he said, the first month we were married. I actually had a third question, and I said, so how much money did you make then? And he laughed hysterically, and he said, not nearly enough to live on. (laughs) I mentioned that part of the story because they are blessed financially. They probably make more than most of us here. And it would be easiest to look at people with a higher level of income than wherever we are and say, I understand that it would be easier for them to give. But do you know how this actually works in our culture? Do you know that those of us that make less proportionately give far more by percentage than people who make more? And did you know that Jesus said, when you're faithful in the small is when I'll bless you and allow you to be the steward over the large. Listen, friends, Our question today is, what might God do if we were generous with all of our resources? I've encouraged you to sit down this week and write out your description of the good life. Include a financial component there, and what would that look like? And if you have hit a spot where you're kind of stuck, reach out for some help. One of the four free volunteer financial coaches here at Evergreen, maybe you'll reach out for counseling with a professional financial uh, or, uh, or a marriage counselor um, or consultant. Maybe you'll connect with a group like FPU. The next FPU class starts this Thursday at Beaverton Foursquare Church. 
Uh, we, you'll have to wait an entire year to be a part of one here. You don't have to do that. FBU classes start around Washington County all throughout the year. Just go to DaveRamsey.com. Yes, that's a shameless plug for him. It's the only way you can register. Find what groups are meeting and where and go ahead and get started. But your question is, in my family, in my finances, in my life, what is God doing in me? Doug and Karen Creasy had no idea when they said years ago, for richer, for poorer, what curve life would throw to them at this point. Only God knew. Only God knew where you would be today. Many of us have experienced loss. Some of you are single again by death or divorce. Some of you are single still, and you did not plan to be moving forward in life financially on your own as you are. Some of you are married to a spouse that has a very different maybe worldview or religious belief or generosity and financial practices, and you struggle together in life to find some kind of common ground forward. Some of you, because of your own poor choices or because of horrific life situations, find yourself deeply, deeply and horribly in debt. And some of you, like our friends Doug and Karen, find themselves in life because of medical condition that has turned their world upside down. It's into the middle of that, for richer or for poorer, that Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Where you are right now today, with all of its complexities and issues and difficulties, God is with you, and he promises to provide for your needs, and he invites you to take a next step into what he has for you. On your connection card, either the physical one or the one that you uh, found on the app online, on the back side, the very first decision isn't a financial decision, but it may be your next step. It says, I am making a decision to follow Jesus. And many of you, now likely today, in this room right now, are making that decision to say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness and for my sins, and I'd like to talk to someone about my next steps in that. Mark the box here. Talk to somebody uh, in the lobby. Give us your information. One of the pastors will be in touch with you. Leave it in one of the boxes on the way out. It may be that your next best step is to be baptized on Easter, along with a bunch of other people that have already signed up out at Info Central. Maybe you'll check the other box, and you'll say, I'm going to do some research and sign up for FPU, or I'm going to take the 90 GA Ties Challenge. And then if you want to, you can put PS. I want Ann Roth to personally guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that. I check between services. She'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. But we won't be able to find the checkbook. I used the last check. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Maybe your other here is, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about and, and join this uh, marriage uh, uh, tune-up that's coming up because we really want to talk about moving our relationship forward. The point is this, God says to you about every area of your life, I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he always says to us, and I want to grow you up into a partnership, and here's your next best step. Yeah. Let's stand and let's pray.
Thank you, God, for your amazing promise that you not only created us, hair, freckles, and all, but you care for us deeply and desperately. Today, Lord, I pray that this week, that every man and woman and student in this room would experience the fulfillment of your promise to provide for all of their needs. And this week, God, would you give us by your Holy Spirit the courage to take the step of faith to follow you into that next thing that you're asking us to do. Commit our life to you to become baptized in water, to participate in some way in a next step financially grow in our growth. Lord, we want to be good partners as your children. Yes, and that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Would you say it together with me? Amen. Amen.